Welcome to the Vision Church Podcast. We're so thankful that you're taking some time today to listen. We pray that this week's message challenges you to press in deeper with your pursuit of Christ. Our mission at Vision Church is to go and make disciples. You can help us in this mission by rating this podcast and sharing it with the world via social media. We want to reach the lost by raising up the found. Thank you again for tuning in today and enjoy the message. So to provide a little additional context here into the book of Acts, Acts chronicles the history of the New Testament church from the ascension of Jesus Christ into the present. It's the story, the history of how the New Testament church unfolded and flourished. It captures how it grew and multiplied throughout the Roman Empire. But specifically in chapters 18 and 19, it zooms in on the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul and his third missionary journey as he made his way to Ephesus. There he taught, he baptized, he healed the sick, and narrowly escaped a violent mob of Diana worshipers that had come to disrupt him. But the overarching theme of Acts 18 and 19 is the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the New Testament church. And today, the name of the sermon is The Holy Spirit Explained. Now, I know some of you right now, you might be getting a little tense because you've heard things about the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've been to some churches that were a little wild, a little out of order, and it has marred the topic of the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the filling of the Holy Spirit. But I want to encourage you to lay those negative experiences just to the side for a moment. Lay your denominational affiliation on the altar just for a few moments today, and let's allow the Word of God to speak to us today. You with me? Let's let the Word of God speak, all right? Because it's hard to hear from the Lord when you've already decided what He has to say, all right? And the Holy Spirit should not be a strange or taboo topic in the church. In fact, the New Testament church was established on the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. Over the next few moments today, we're gonna work our way right down chapters 18 and 19. And the first thing I wanna show you is that something was missing. Tell your neighbor like you mean it, something was missing. So when the Apostle Paul arrives in Ephesus, he starts to meet these new believers And he's like, oh man, you guys are some pretty cool dudes. We like you, you guys are really nice. But it didn't take him long to realize that something was missing in their life spiritually. They seemed godly, they seemed friendly, but there was an emptiness, there was something missing that prompted the Apostle Paul to ask the question, do you guys have the Holy Spirit? All right, something was definitely off. Now, listen, if anybody knew the person of the Holy Spirit, it was the Apostle Paul. He wrote nearly two-thirds of our New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It was not a foreign entity to him. In fact, as he established churches, as he made disciples, the Holy Spirit and his power and his work in the life of the early church was a central theme of Paul's writings and ministry. The Holy Spirit marks and transforms the lives of believers. And so as he approaches the church at Ephesus, he's like, I like y'all, but something is definitely missing. 
something's missing. Now, we can only speculate as to what was missing or what keyed Paul in to these discrepancies, right? But we don't have to guess too much because we've got clues found in Acts 1.8. So if you have your Bible, look with me to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And if you're slow flipping, just look on the screen. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. By the way, Acts 1 is written by Jesus Christ himself. These are his words as he says, the Holy Spirit will empower you to be effective witnesses in the earth. So what was missing in the lives of these believers at Ephesus? Well, Acts 1 tells us two things, power and effective witnessing. Tell your neighbor, there's got to be power. And tell your other neighbor, you got to be a witness. You know, the truth is, um, sadly, the Holy Spirit, his filling, his operation at work in the life of believers has often been misrepresented and it's been tarnished. And many of us have made it into something that it's not. The filling of the Holy Spirit is not so that you can be more spiritual or more important or significant than another Christian. It's not so that you can have some special gift and you know show off how awesome you are. No, the Spirit was given to empower Christians to be effective witnesses in the earth, not to be weird, confusing, or put people away. Three people clapping, but I'm with you three, all right? So as the Apostle Paul looked at these believers in Ephesus, they were lacking in power, lacking in boldness, zeal, and passion. But more significantly, I believe they were not living as effective witnesses in the world around them. Now, the truth is, when I read Acts 1-8 for years, I thought what it was saying is, the Holy Spirit empowers us to be effective witnesses in our relational evangelism. You know, after all, I thought witnessing is, you know, going out to the sidewalk and telling people about Jesus, you know. And while that is certainly true and, and a, a role to play, that's not what Acts 1 means. When it talks about being an effective witness, it's not talking about your evangelism skills you share in the gospel. What it's actually talking about is your Christian witness, the lifestyle you live, the way you treat your wife, the way you treat your husband, the way you raise your children, the way you treat your coworker, the way you treat your employee, the character and the integrity of your life is the greatest witness that we could ever possess. The greatest sermon you will ever preach won't come from a podium and a microphone. It will be the way in which you love, the way in which you forgive, the way you conduct your life. That is the light that shines into a dark world. We can't just preach the gospel, we must live the gospel, and the Holy Spirit equips us to truly be effective witnesses in the earth. Now, let me peel back another layer of this that I pray connects with you. Do you realize that it's hard to live like a Christian in the world? Can I get a witness? Somebody can just say, hey, it's hard to be a Christian. Okay, at least you're telling the truth. 
Well, I'll go a step further and say it's impossible. You and I have been called to a mission that is profoundly impossible. How in the world are you going to love like Jesus loved? How are you going to forgive and serve your enemies like Jesus forgave and extended mercy to his enemies? The life of a true Christian is humanly impossible through our effort, intellect, and strength alone. But although with man it is impossible, through God, all things are possible. You need the Holy Spirit to live right. You need the Holy Spirit to love right. You need the Holy Spirit to be a real Christian in a real hostile world that's lost and dying without him. Tell your neighbor, say, you need the Holy Spirit. And just for free, I'm going to slide this in here. The whole thing's free. Anyway, like in all seriousness, scripture tells us that in him, we live, move, and have our being. Scripture teaches that he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the alpha and the omega and everything in between. We are not the source of our own Christian living. No, he is the source of our Christian living. Now, it's amazing to me how we can come to faith by trusting and relying in Jesus but then we say, thank you, Lord. I'll take it from here. I'll quit smoking, drinking, and sleeping around on my own. I'm going to do a great, I'm going to be the best Christian. I'll see you on the other side, Jesus. Say what? If you try to live a Christ, like a Christian in your own power and in your own experience, you will be frustrated and your efforts will be futile. And that's why some of you are still wandering in circles, addicted to the same sin for decades because you're trying to sanctify you. You can't save you and you can't sanctify you. You can't save your soul and you can't transform it. But I got good news. The same God who saves is the same God who delivers. And though he may call us to an impossible mission, he has equipped us with everything we will ever need to be the men and women of God he's called us to be by giving us the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life that is glorifying to him here and now. Being filled with his spirit does not mean sinless perfection but it does mean a life transformed. It does mean that although you'll never be sinless, you can be free from sins, life-controlling issues, addictions, habits, and reign over your mortal body. Through Christ and the power of his Holy Spirit, on the cross, the power of sin was broken. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Victory is not found in human effort and achievement. It's found in surrender and reliance upon the Holy Spirit to be our ever-present help in our time of need and to be strong in our weakness. Anybody believe what I'm saying today? I wish I'd get a witness at Vision Church that believes it. So when the Apostle Paul saw the believers at Ephesus, he's like, I, can't, I like y'all, but something's missing. I like you, but you have a form of godliness, but you deny the power thereof. In fact, that's a scripture. One of the most startling scriptures in all of the Bible is 2 Timothy 3, 5, which says that in the last days, men will have a form of godliness, but they will deny the power thereof. 
That means there'll be a, some church folk that look religious. They look holy. They know how to raise their hand at the chorus and the bridge. They can memorize the, the lyrics just at the right time. But the truth is, when they leave the church, the church don't go with them. And they may be a Christian on Sunday, but they're a heathen on Monday. Listen, we do not have time to play games and go through the motions. This is not a game. This is not a religious routine. This is life and death eternal. The Lord God wants to save you and transform you and make you into a new creation. He truly does. We cannot afford to be people who look godly on the outside, but inside we're far from him. May we be a people who have a form of godliness and we live with the power of his spirit. You can, listen, you can reject the Holy Spirit if you want to. By the way, just this is a side note, and I'm going to get some of y'all offended here in a minute. These people in Ephesus, they were believers. They were saved, born again, water baptized. You say, well, I thought everybody got the Holy Spirit at salvation. Hold on, we'll get to that in a minute. The truth is, these people in Ephesus, they were on their way to heaven. Their sins were forgiven. They were born again. And if they resist the Holy Spirit, he will allow them. It's not a salvation issue. We're not saved by our filling of the Holy Spirit. That's not a prerequisite to salvation. We're saved by God's grace through faith on the cross of Calvary. That's what saves us. So if you wanna sit in the church and ignore the Holy Spirit, have a form of godliness and reject him, he'll let you, you'll make it. The problem is you won't have any power and you won't be very effective bringing other people to heaven along with you. Being an effective witness and being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not about you. It's about the world that's lost and dying around you that needs his spirit. The believers in Ephesus, something was missing in their life, but the truth is something was missing in their lives because something was missing in the teaching of Apollos who discipled them. It matters who's teaching and preaching you listen to. It matters. I want to read to you Acts 18, verse 24. By the way, the Bible was not written in chapters and verses. Those were added later for our ability to reference passages of Scripture. Chapter 18 and 19, they are cohesive and work together. Listen to this. Verse 24, Acts 18. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately. The thing I want you to catch out of this is something was missing in Apollos' teaching because he knew the Old Testament very well, but he didn't have the New Testament canon that we are blessed with today. But it says right here that Apollos only knew of John's baptism. What does that mean? The Bible is telling you that Apollos knew the gospel. 
He knew how to preach John's baptism, which was the baptism of repentance. Apollos was great at telling people they were sinners in need of a savior and that Jesus died in their place, was buried. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. They need to repent and be baptized. He was preaching that message. It was true. It was accurate. It was wholesome. It just wasn't the whole story. He preached the truth, just not all the truth. He did not have a knowledge He had an incomplete understanding of the person and the role of the Holy Spirit. Something was missing in him. Therefore, it was missing in the believers who heard him. Is this making any sense to you? And if I can just be totally transparent with you right now, when I think about this passage, you know, Paul says he looked at him and he said, something's missing. You guys are great. You have a form of godliness, but There's an emptiness. There's something that you're lacking. And then he says, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they go, "Uh, who's the Holy Spirit? If I can be totally honest with you, I did not want to preach this sermon. I asked the Lord, give me something else. But the truth is, I think the church of Ephesus is a picture of the church of Charlotte and maybe even Vision Church itself. Because every Sunday I come in here and I preach the gospel to you. You're a sinner in need of a savior. Jesus died for you, got up on the third day. But the truth is, if we stop there, you'll be saved. You're going to make it. But there's more God has for your life. And the church at Ephesus had an incomplete understanding. And I don't want us to be a church with a form of godliness but denied the power thereof. I want us to be a church that embraces the fullness of what God has for our life. We need his spirit. We need his power to be an effective witness in the earth. And I don't know about you, but I want all that he has for me. So Paul asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit? They're like, Holy Spirit who? What? They had an incomplete understanding. And I'll be honest with you, If we were to ask all five services today, is there something missing in your life? Is there a power? Is there a confidence, a courage? Is there something missing in your life? And if we were to ask them, have you received the Holy Spirit? I think we would get the same answer that Paul got in Ephesus, where people would say, I know about Jesus and the cross, but the Holy Spirit is foreign to me. But that's not going to be us anymore. That's why today we're preaching on the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me be honest with you. If I just wanted you to be happy and feel good, and this just be a nice little church, I would just give you a TED Talk. I would avoid the controversial passages, but I love you too much to do you that way. My responsibility is to preach to you the whole counsel of God, whether you like it or whether you don't, because... If I don't, that'll be my responsibility on the day of judgment. I've got to give you the, the whole truth and nothing but the truth and hold nothing back. And listen, it's the uncomfortable topics that we grow and flourish and thrive. If you just stay where you're safe and you just stay where you're comfortable, you will only catch a glimpse of the Christian experience Christ died to afford you. Who is the Holy Spirit and what is his role in the New Testament church? I'm going to rapid fire. So I would encourage you to take notes really quickly in case this happens to be important. 
which it is important. I borrowed that from Pastor Ron from last week, right? So take notes, you'll feel better about it, I'll feel better, you'll look smarter. I'm gonna rapid fire. Who is the Holy Spirit and what is his purpose in the earth? Number one, he is the third person of the Trinity. He is the third member of the Godhead outside of time, space, and matter. God existed eternally and chose to reveal himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, everything that was made was made through him and by him. You can see him in Genesis verse one through three. He's present in the beginning. He is a member of the Trinity. This is God revealed through his spirit. Next, the Holy Spirit is not an it. He's a person. I've heard so many people say it, 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 and I cringe and die just a little bit inside when I hear us refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. He's a person. He's a spirit being. He has a personality. He has character. He can be invited. He can be rejected. He can be thwarted. He can be, dis he can be discarded. He's a person. He's a personal being. John 14 says that he is our helper, our comforter, and our teacher. Thanks be to God. I think we need the Holy Spirit, don't you? The Lord knew there were going to be times that you needed comfort. He knew there were going to be times and seasons in your life where you feel afflicted and broken. And the Holy Spirit comes to comfort those who mourn. He's the God who sticks closer than a brother. Scripture tells us in Romans 8.26 that he is strong in the midst of our weakness. Galatians 5.22 says something majestic, that he is the source of the spiritual fruit in our life. Galatians 5.22 lists the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, and self-control. You are not the source of that good spiritual fruit. The Holy Spirit alone is the source of that good fruit. You can't fake fruit. That comes from his Spirit at work inside of you. Lost my place there. Coming back. I got excited. John 16 says that he convicts us of our sin and of God's righteousness. Don't confuse conviction with condemnation. They're two drastically different things. The enemy condemns us and, and depresses us and weighs a heavy burden on us. Conviction, yes, it reveals the error and the sin in our life, but it points us to redemption. It points us to the hope of Jesus Christ and repentance. Scripture says in Acts 2.38 and in Acts chapter 1 that the Holy Spirit is our gift and our promise. Tell your neighbor, he's our gift and promise. Jesus was talking to his disciples one day and he said, hey guys, I'm about to leave you. I'm actually about to die and I'm gonna go be with my father. And the disciples are like, oh no, Lord. Oh, far be it from you to die. And Jesus said, it's far better for you that I go to my father because then I will send the Holy Spirit to you. If we're being honest, again, and we polled this room right now, and we asked you, would you rather have Jesus with you in a physical body right now, or would you rather have the Holy Spirit? If we're being honest, 99.999% of you would say, I want Jesus. Can we be real? Give me Jesus in the Bible. I want to ask him some stuff. Well, Jesus actually would tell you the same thing he told his disciples, and that is, it's actually far better for you that I go, because when I'm with the Father, the Spirit comes to you. Yeah. 
You see, before the spirit was contained in the body and the person of Jesus Christ. But after his death, burial, and resurrection, now the spirit is in all born-again Christians dwelling inside of you. Paul said, do you not know it? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the excellency and the fullness of God. His spirit dwells inside of you in the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now alive inside of you. What a promise. Thanks be to God. He dwells within every true Christian. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. He empowers us again to be effective witnesses. And quite possibly, the most important function of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is that he is the one who sanctifies us. Sanctification is the fancy theological word for becoming more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. Sanctification is not sinless perfection, but it means transformation. That my life is now moving closer to God and further from my sin in my past. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. And more specifically, he changes the desires of the human heart. You see, too long in the church, we've tried to modify our behavior, but the root is still the problem. You keep cutting off the branch. You keep cutting off the leaves, but the tree keeps growing because you haven't dealt with the root of your sin. Stop modifying your behavior and allow the Holy Spirit to give you a new desire, a new heart, a new perspective altogether. That's a supernatural act that the Holy Spirit can do. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm living, breathing evidence that I'm not the man I want to be, but I'm far from the man I used to be. And I don't love the sin I used to love. I don't even listen to the same music I used to listen to. I can't run with the same crowds I used to run with because something inside of me has changed. And now there is a hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's his spirit. <laughs> Moving on. Next thing I want to show you really quickly is there are two baptisms. Tell your neighbor there are two baptisms. You guys are like, what? I thought there was just one. Well, surprise, it's in your Bible. In fact, in all four Gospels, it records the filling of the Holy Spirit. All four Gospels. The book of Acts begins with this. The first baptism is a baptism of water. John's baptism unto repentance. It's what you just watched this morning, precious people identifying with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, the outward expression that I'm dying to who I used to be. I'm being raised to a new life and purpose through Jesus Christ. It's the believer's baptism of repentance, okay? But listen to Matthew 3.11. These are the words of John the Baptist. He said, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not even worthy to be his slave or even carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Acts chapter one goes on to say, Jesus in the resurrected state, he looks at the disciples and he says, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the promise. What is the promise? The Holy Spirit. You thought I made, a, I, I made this up? No, Jesus taught this. The second baptism is of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to show you the difference in that in just a minute. So what, does, what is the purpose 
of the second baptism. What's the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm so glad you asked. It's the same thing I've been telling you all day long. It's Acts 1-8 to empower you to be an effective witness in the earth, not to be weird, not to be loud, not to be confusing, not to be self-exalting, but to be empowered to be an effective witness in the earth. Are we, are we talking Bible today? It's, just, it's right there for you to read. And if you have any problem with this sermon at all, you can just take it up with the Lord. Just email him directly. <laughs> By the way, like, if you want an example of the effects of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, that terminology is interchangeable. Look at the life of Peter. You remember Peter? Peter was that loud, boisterous disciple who tried to cut somebody's head off in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember him? It says he got his ear, but make no mistake about it. He was going for the head and the guy just ducked. Peter had some anger management problems, okay? Peter not only had anger problems, he denied Jesus three times in his most critical hour. Also, one time Jesus called Peter Satan. <laughs> A little rough there, huh? It's like, you're behind me, Satan. I'm serious. That's who Peter was before the Holy Spirit filled him. After Acts 1 and 2, by the way, Peter was in that upper room in Acts 2 when the Bible says, and the Holy Spirit began to blow through that place like a mighty rushing wind and his spirit rested upon them. After that day, it was literally 50 days from the cross. The same Peter who denied, the same Peter who struggled with faith and anger issues stood boldly in the streets of Jerusalem and preached the precious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And 3,000 people were saved in one day. He went from there to plant the church at Antioch, and he ultimately went to the, from there to die as a martyr for the cause of Jesus Christ. It's a life transformed. It's a polarizing change. The only expressible explanation is that he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. That was not Peter who preached that day. That was not Peter who planted that church. That was the Holy Spirit of the living God that empowered him and equipped him to be an effective witness in the earth. You think the Holy Spirit is weird, but I say you need his spirit to be effective in this world. I have a graphic I want to show you because some of you might still be saying, because the YouTube people love to get on me about this. They're like, well, I got the Holy Spirit when I was saved. I don't need, okay, this is for you. Here's a graphic. The Holy Spirit dwells within us and also rests upon us. Tell your neighbor, say within us and upon us. This is super important, church. It really is. And I know the graphic's not fancy, but just you'll be all right. Within us, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit takes place at the moment of regeneration, which is salvation. That's a fancy way of saying the moment that you got saved, you repented of your sin, confessed Jesus as the Lord, believed in your heart, God raised him from the dead. In that moment, a supernatural event took place where the Holy Spirit regenerated you. He justified you. He made you new and he dwells within you at salvation. Scripture is profoundly clear that even your salvation is a work of the Holy Spirit. Long before you even had the awareness of your sinfulness, the Holy Spirit was pursuing you. It was he who first loved us. 
You didn't one day wake up and go, you know what? Today's the day I'm gonna stand and get my life right. No, long before you even knew you were a sinner, he was rich in mercy, he was rich in love, and his spirit was drawing you to himself. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. You didn't come on your own. Your faith didn't start with you. It started with the Holy Spirit. The moment you gave your life to Christ, he dwells within you. Every born-again Christian that's truly born again, the Spirit of God is within them. Now, the second is from Acts 1, Acts 2, Acts 4, Acts 8, and so forth, even Matthew 3. Every time the baptism of the Spirit or the filling of the Holy Spirit is mentioned, it uses the word upon us, upon us. Every time the Spirit is mentioned in salvation, it's within us. But every time it's empowering us to be an effective witness, it's upon us. Look at just, I challenge you, do your own homework, look it up, it's amazing. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is empowering us to be effective witnesses. He rests upon us. The best example of this is found in Matthew chapter three, the baptism of Jesus Christ. You remember that as he came up out of the water, the spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. Do you remember that? The spirit was already within Christ. He was the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form, God incarnate. The fullness of the spirit was already within him. But in that moment, the spirit rested upon him. How many miracles did Jesus perform before his baptism? Zero. How many, how many miraculous things took place in his ministry before the baptism? Zero. The indwelling and the resting upon of the Holy Spirit was the initiation of Christ's very ministry. Not because he needed it, but he's our example. Our example. At salvation, the Holy Spirit seals us. But in the baptism of the Spirit, he fills us. There's a difference between upon and within. By the way, just really fast, when the Spirit dwells within a person at salvation, that's a one-time moment. You don't have to stand at every altar call just because you sinned last night. You don't have to stand every single time, okay? The moment you first came to Jesus, He already saw your end from the beginning. He knew every mistake you'd ever make and He chose to save you anyway. It's called grace. You know, it's amazing how we think we're saved by His grace, but then our salvation is maintained by our effort. Mm -mm. Thank God it's His grace and He's rich in mercy, okay? It's a one-time thing, salvation, regeneration. But the filling of the Holy Spirit is a continual renewing process, not a one-time thing. I've heard people say, well, I was filled with the Holy Spirit in 1972. Okay, what happened since then? Because it's a continual renewing and refreshing of His Spirit resting upon us. This is seen multiple times. By the way, for those of you that are still convinced that it's a simultaneous occurrence that happens at salvation, look with me at Acts 8. I don't have time, but for the sake of time, just write this down, Acts 8. Read this on your own time. For all my YouTube friends out there, look at Acts 8. Here's what it says. In Acts 8, Philip went and preached in Samaria. The whole village got saved and water baptized. He came back to Jerusalem. He reported to the apostles, hey, the entire village of Samaria is saved and water baptized. Chest bump me, somebody. This is awesome. And then, that was my paraphrase. Then the apostles said, but were they filled with the Spirit? 
Philip goes, I knew I forgot something. I'm serious, it's in your Bible. So they sent Peter and John all the way back to Samaria to the saved water baptized believers just to give them the message I'm giving you right now. Golf clap in the back, but they're right. So for the sake of time, really quickly, there's been a lot of confusion about what's the evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit? Do I have to speak in tongues? Do I have to have some sort of religious out-of-body experience? The answer is the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is found in Acts 1.8, that you be empowered to be an effective witness in the earth. If God has empowered you to be an effective witness, congratulations, you've been baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. No, I'm serious. This, this teaching of, well, you have to speak in tongues in order to be saved. You have to speak in tongues in order to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That is not, I'm sorry, but that's man's stuff. It's not biblical. It's just not. Look at Acts 8. Did those people speak in tongues? They did not. Doesn't say they did. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit at Vision Church. We do. But here's what I'm trying to tell you. If God has empowered you to be an effective witness by His Spirit, don't second guess the power of His Spirit filling your life just because you don't have a certain gift. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit gives gifts unto men as He wills. That means we don't all have the same gift. So don't get caught up in all that stuff. The evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is He's empowered you to be an effective witness in the earth. And as I'm closing, a lot of people have asked all day, how do I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? How? You ready? You just ask him. I know it's underwhelming, right? You were like, you know, do I need to come forward? Somebody need to anoint me with oil? Do I need to fall on the ground? Actually, no, you just ask him. You say, well, it can't be that simple. Well, yes, it can. How did he save you? Well, you called upon his name. You believe that he was able. How will he fill you? You call upon his name. You ask him, Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me your power. Give me your gifts. Give me your courage. Give me the boldness. Change my life like you changed Peter's. Empower me to be an effective witness that my life may testify of your goodness all the days of my life. That's how you are filled with the Holy Spirit. I, for the first time, was filled with the Holy Spirit as a 14-year-old kid in my room praying for my classmates that were lost to come to Jesus. In that moment, I felt the touch of God. I felt Him in a way that changed the trajectory of my life forever. A boldness, a confidence, a passion, a zeal for Him that I'd never known began that day in that moment. And I had no idea what the baptism was. I had no clue, no theological training to articulate it. All I knew is I wanted Jesus and all that he had for my life. And he met me right there in that place and he can meet you. So pray with me now all over this place. If you're not right with the Lord, it starts with salvation. You can't receive the Holy Spirit if you haven't been born again. So pray with me now. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. 
We repent of our sin. We ask you for forgiveness. We believe that 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross, Jesus died and took our place. His body was buried, and on the third day, he rose from the grave. Lord, I give you my past, present, and my future. Change my heart and my life, and may I follow you and serve you all the days of my life. And Lord, today, those who desire the baptism, the filling of the Holy Spirit, I pray right now that as many as would ask, that you would fill them. You would touch them right where they are, whether they have a supernatural experience, whether they have goosebumps or they feel nothing. We trust in your goodness that if we ask, we will receive. You are a good father and you will provide your spirit. And it is not limited to our perception or feelings. Today, we leave in faith that you will empower us and equip us and change us to be the effective witnesses you've called us to be. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, click that subscribe button, share this podcast on social, or even take a screenshot from your story and tag us. We'd love to hear how the Lord is using this podcast to bless your life. You can send an email to info at visionchurch.com, or you can DM us on social with a story of how God is moving in your world. Also, we'd like to thank those who invest in our ministry financially. It's because of your sacrifice that we are able to publish this every week. If you'd like to join in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in the description or visit visionchurch.com and click the Give tab. Thanks again for listening. God bless.